Welcome everyone to the Fantasy and Betting Podcast presented by the 33rd team. I'm your host as always, Josh Larkey. Josh Larkey, I can't talk today. And I'm joined as always by my co-host, Ryan Reynolds, who watches every snap of every game and lives to tell about it. Today's guest is my good friend, a hiking buddy out in Colorado. He's a sharp analyst, a football mind, Dave Klukey, who according to me, maybe Ryan as well, a lot of other people, is starting to become just the the true face of football guys. And I I think it's great to see, and it's well-deserved. He is at Dave Kluge on Twitter, but you probably already know him, so we're going to get right into it. Dave, Dalvin Cook is a New York Jet. Uh, This this hurts Brees Hall, but I keep going back to how Hall is probably a better version of Aaron Jones, and Jones was usually a fantasy RB1, even with Jamal Williams or A.J. Dillon taking a chunk of the work. I think of Hall as a better runner and pass catcher. And I currently have Brees Hall at player 36 overall, a 3-4 turn pick. Am I being too stubborn? How do you see Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook playing out both early season and then late season? Yeah, I think that's a great comp, you know, talking about how Nathaniel Hackett has deployed running backs in the past. We saw that last year, you know. Brees Hall, before he got hurt, was pulling like a, what was it, 17, 18% target share when he was healthy. So he has that role. So if you're looking at how, you know, these guys are going to work out, yeah, Brees Hall probably slots in as the Aaron Jones type. But we were shouting for years during those Green Bay years, you know, free Aaron Jones. We wanted to see him get the workload, and he never really did. You know, I I could talk about this Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook situation for an hour. Like, we could do a whole show just on this because I think that there's so much to peel back and talk about. I'm kind of scared off by both of these guys, if I'm being completely honest. Even if if I have to draft one of them, I prefer Brees Hall because I think that what Dalvin Cook does is allow him to kind of slowly ramp up. He doesn't need to take on the full workload week one. So I think that when the season starts, we see Dalvin Cook kind of as the 1A, and then as Brees Hall gets more and more confident in that knee, he probably takes on a bigger opportunity. So Brees Hall still has the same allure that he had you know, when we were drafting him months ago before Dalvin Cook was there, that he could be that late season hammer to help you win a fantasy championship. So now uh, I, I kind of thought that maybe I'd be completely out, but his ADP is dipped significantly. You know, he's fallen a full round and now getting some fifth round Brees Hall. I'm in, but I think that, that might correct. And then if he moves back up into the fourth round, then I'm probably night, not quite as in on him. But as long as he stays in the fifth round, I'll, I'll, I'll continue to throw some darts. So what you're saying is I'm crazy for still having him at player 36. Uh, I mean, you're crazy for other reasons, but we'll just add that one to the list. <laughs> I mean, you did botch your own name just now, Josh. So. I don't even know who I am. I'm having an identity <laughs> crisis on air. You know, it, it, it's tough because Brees Hall, like, wildly talented. But there are mm-hmm. two huge red flags right now, and that is Dalvin Cook, who, to be honest, I don't even think Dalvin Cook is, like, that good at this point in his career. I mean, you look at every metric, broken tackle rate, juke rate, breakaway run rate, everything, he is trending downward quickly. And I think a lot of people are kind of blinded by the fifth-best opportunity share last year, which led to a decent fantasy finish. But Aaron Rodgers thinks that he's getting, like, 2019, 2020, 2021 Dalvin Cook, and 2023 Dalvin Cook is not the same player. So... I, I I don't know. It's such a tough situation to read into because if you look just at the numbers, you think that Brees Hall is going to be the guy here, but they're paying Dalvin Cook a lot of money and Aaron Rodgers is pulling some strings there. So I don't know. I, I mean, we I think anybody projecting with confidence what this backfield is going to look like is selling mm-hmm. snake oil because really nobody knows. Uh, but we do know that Brees Hall is the more talented player. So I'd hope that if you draft him, you're getting that late season production that can really push your team over the edge. But there's a ton of risk in drafting both of these guys. 
Sticking with the AFC East here, Dave. I have the Bills finishing second in the division behind the Jets. It's a little aggressive. Buffalo has a first-place schedule. The Jets have a last-place schedule. Jets actually beat Buffalo last year despite their mess at quarterback. Aaron Rodgers, as you well know as a Bears fan, is a legitimate problem even even at his advanced age. I think the Jets have a better defense. And I think Rodgers, in a best-case scenario, can completely transform both sides of the ball. Because last year, especially down the stretch, the Jets' defense was on the field all game long. Now, with Buffalo, it's the Josh Allen show. I said last year, I think their supporting cast on offense is a little bit overrated, much like Aaron Rodgers with Green Bay. I think he cov- Josh Allen covers a lot of holes in Buffalo that other quarterbacks wouldn't be able to. To that end, Josh has James, Cook's, James Cook as a fade in fantasy, Dave, ranking him at 86th overall in his cheat sheet. How do you view James Cook this season? You know, this is weird because I feel like everybody has drawn a line in the sand and you're either Team James Cook or Team Damian Harris and nobody is allowed to tread the line. Like you have to pick your side and I can't pick a side. You know, I'm okay drafting both of these guys at their ADP. I see the allure for both. Obviously, the concerns with James Cook are that we don't see this type of player typically score a lot of fantasy points unless they're ripping off big plays. And James Cook has that upside. I mean, he led the league in breakaway run rate last year, but the size concerns are, you know, something worth noting. And I don't think that he's going to be a guy that's going to be touching the ball 20 times a game. So you're really hoping for him to score big to pay off on a weekly basis. And then there's me, you know, people probably think that I'm more on the Damian Harris side because I talk about him a little bit more and maybe I'm just slipping on the banana peel for the third year in a row. But, you know, when I see Damian Harris, I see him as very similar to Devin Singletary, but better in every facet. He's taller, he's heavier, he's got more bursts, he's better at breaking tackles. And Devin Singletary gave us back to back to back RB2 seasons are better, like finishing inside the top 24. So if we assume that even if it is just the early down and goal line work going Damian Harris's way, if Devin freaking Singletary, five foot nine, 205 pound Devin Singletary could churn out top 24 seasons, I don't see any reason that Damian Harris can't. That being said, James Cook also has the big play upside and he's going to get going in the passing game a little bit. So I- I'm not taking a stance on either of these guys. I think that the concerns about both of them are valid. And I think that those concerns have pushed both of them down draft boards far enough that I'm willing to draft either. Yeah, with with James Cook, let me let me explain a little bit more for people out there that go, Josh, you have him in 86. That's inappropriate. I think it's very appropriate. <laughs> James Cook in college through three seasons never had more than 45 carries or 16 receptions at Georgia. Those are really small numbers. As a senior, he absolutely broke out in a massive way. He had seven and a half carries a game. He had 1.8 receptions per game. Then in his rookie year, his target share is under 6%. He doesn't score fantasy points. Josh Allen doesn't target running backs at a high rate. Josh Allen, Damian Harris, and Latavius Murray, who I've been targeting more now with that Damian Harris's injury is a little bit unclear. They're all in front of James Cook, most likely, at the goal line. So I, I think it's just tough in that sense for fantasy points. Now, I don't know if you saw it, but they just signed Ty Johnson, too. Which, oh, I mean, God, not that Ty Johnson is me. a great player by any means, but this is a really muddy backfield. I I am a Ty Johnson enthusiast. I know so you are. That is, that is a, <laughs> whew, I am, um, talk about the banana peel. I think, Ryan, Ryan, weren't you a little bit excited about him as well last year? I remember I was really excited. I don't think you were able to talk me out of him. Were you talking me into him as well? Ty Johnson's a guy who's had like some interesting 
usage weeks. I, I've written about him in waiver wires basically every year for the he- last half decade, it seems like. He has like interesting weeks, but he's never gotten big time usage. So I'm not a Ty Johnson guy, but you know, if, if someone started giving him 15 carries a game, it might it might be interesting. It might. Uh, what the last thing I'll say, since we're still talking about the, the Bills backfield a little bit, if we were guaranteed that James Cook was gonna play 17 games. We'd be, or I'm sorry, not James Cook. If we were guaranteed that Damian Harris was going to play 17 games, mm-hmm. we'd be drafting this guy as like a top 20 running back, right? I, I think the main concern people have about Damian Harris isn't his skill set because he is one of the most fun running backs to watch in the league. The last time he was healthy, PFF graded him as the best running back in the NFL when he scored mm-hmm. 15 touchdowns with the Patriots. I think the only real concern with Damian Harris is that he hasn't been able to do it consistently over a full season. So I don't know. I, I don't get scared off by injuries, and I operate under the mindset that players are going to stay healthy, even though I know they won't. And that's why I find myself really liking Damian Harris where he's going. Too. Me too. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Now I, I just put out a, a cheat sheet on the thirty third team dot com. I'll be updating it throughout the the remaining August and early September months, and. Uh, Along with that, I had this, what I called the fantasy football game plan. Think of it as like a little compliment piece where you take seven minutes, you read through that. Now you know how to better utilize my rankings. My biggest selling point for reading the guide is if you use my rankings, there's a good chance in round three, you draft Jalen Hurts, best player available. Round four, you draft Lamar Jackson, best player available. Round five, you draft Justin Herbert, best player available and you're going to lose your league because you took three quarterbacks through five rounds. That is why the game plan is the perfect compliment to my rankings. That way you make sure you're not making big blunders in strategy. And one of my quick hitting tips was that in most of your drafts, you should take one of the four rookie receivers with round one draft capital, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnston, Zay Flowers. I'd be super shocked if none of them hit in fantasy this year, probably one to three of them are going to put up some pretty difference making production, especially down the stretch. Now, my co-host Ryan is at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. Make sure you're following him there. Make sure you continually confuse him with the other Ryan Reynolds. Ryan, is there some kind of quirk that you would recommend to drafters like that where you go, you know what? I don't even know who it is. We're going to lean into the uncertainty. One of these four almost has to hit. Do you have any kind of thing like that where there's a certain type of guy or range that you're really interested in for fantasy? Something that I'm doing that's probably a little unconventional is I'm very big on schedule analysis. Last year, I tried to leave every draft with an eagle. I was, a, I was very much an eagle's bull all offseason. This year, I'm doing the same thing with the Saints. I don't think the Saints are as good as the Eagles from a talent perspective. I don't think it's actually even close. We've said this before, Josh. I view the Saints as an eight-win team. I think they'll have an inflated record because of their schedule. That said, Chris Olave... Alvin Kamara, Jamal Williams especially, Michael Thomas, dart throwing Juwan Johnson or Kendra Miller late in drafts. Uh, whenever I can get those guys at a reasonable cost, I'm looking to take a swing at the upside. Now, Dave, you seen anything funky that you're trying to take advantage of in drafts these days? You know, I, I don't know if this is something that you guys have talked about much, but we hear about this like dreaded like running back dead zone. Like, Don't draft these running backs in the dead zone. And because of that, the dead zone is very much so alive this year. So I find myself just barreling headfirst through the running back dead zone this year. And these guys that used to be, you know, like second and third round picks are now going in the sixth and seventh round. You know, uh, once you start looking at Damian Pierce and J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders, Cam Akers, Javante Williams, you know, we just talked a little bit about James Cook and uh, Damian Harris, James Conner, Alvin Kamara, DeAndre Swift. These are the guys that used to just 
nuke your fantasy team when you're trying to project volume and volume isn't always as sticky as we project it to be. But now that you're investing a later round pick in these guys rather than your second, third, and fourth round pick, I think the acquisition cost makes it worth it. So I don't know if that's necessarily a funky thing that I'm trying to do, but mm-hmm. I am not scared off by the running back dead zone at all. I actually find myself preferring that area of the draft. Uh, I, I, I like the running backs on the board more than anywhere else. So I load up on my first, second, and third round wide receivers and then just take a basically committee approach through the running back dead zone. And I'll grab four or five of these guys knowing that I only need two to pan out over the course of the year. Uh, Dave, I've been looking forward to this for a couple of years now, man. We've swapped in DMs that you're a Bears fan. I'm a Bears enthusiast. I love the city of Chicago. I finally get to talk about the Chicago Bears. Bears, Dave. <laughs> no, Bears. Not Bears. I'm a, I'm a bull. I'm a bull. I'm a little bit bullish on the Bears this year. I bet on Matt Everflus to win coach of the year. The overall roster, I'd say, is the most improved this offseason. Offensive line's better. The addition of DJ Moore makes the wide receiver room more complete. Sticks Darnell Moody and Chase Claypool into more natural roles. Pass rush is still weak, even with the signing of Ningakuo. But the defense is better now with at least six players that I'd want on my own team. Mm-hmm. Now, at the end of the day, Dave, the key to all this is Justin Fields. And last year, he struggled as a passer big time. But, you know, we can logically explain that I think Chicago had the worst wide receiver room in the league. Fields couldn't set his feet behind a shaky offensive line early in the season. I think that's something most people overlook. Coaching staff made some changes after the Giants game in week four, but the big changes came after Thursday night football against Washington, where the Bears suddenly went on a five-game run where they scored at least 27 points a game. And we're talking they did this against the Patriots. They did this against the Cowboys. Now, Dave... Give me a Bears record prediction. Give me your view on fields. And let's talk about DJ Moore and fantasy football as well. So as much as I love talking about the Bears, I'm kind of hesitant to talk about them this year because I just sound like a blind homer. And if you listen to me last year, I projected the Bears to win three games. And I was on <laughs> Adam Rank's show, you know, Adam Rank, big time homer. Yeah. And I said that on the, and you should have seen the chat. Just beep, 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 just get this effing <laughs> idiot off your show. People were furious. <laughs> but I just didn't see it happening for the Bears last year. It was very much so a rebuild. It was the first time in Chicago Bears history. We're talking about, you know, a hundred plus year old franchise. First time in Bears mm-hmm. history that they went into week one with a new GM, a new head coach, and a new week one quarterback. This is the first time they had ever really committed to a rebuild. And that's what last year was. And for all of the reasons that you have mentioned, Ryan, they are trending up this year. And I am so ready to hurt again. You know, I am just <laughs> dumping the Kool-Aid on my face right now. But it's hard not to be optimistic. And they're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. They're following the same blueprint that, you know, helped Dak Prescott be a better quarterback when they invested in their offensive line and brought in Amari Cooper. They're doing the same thing that Josh Allen, uh, what they did bringing in Stephon Diggs and Jalen Hurts with, with, uh, with, with A.J. Brown. They're not trying to do anything crazy here. They're doing what has proven to be a successful plan for developing quarterbacks. Darnell Wright might be the best offensive lineman in this tackle, and they get to add him in, or the best offensive tackle in this draft, and they get to add him in as well. So after nailing my three-win call last year, I now have them jumping up to 10 wins in 2023. And I feel like a homer saying it, but this team was 1-7 in in one-score games last year. I mean... It's not like they were just getting beat down. He was throwing to inarguably the worst group of pass catchers in the NFL. And when you get to go from mm-hmm. Matt being your lead target guy, having Nikhil Harry and Amir Smith-Marset starting games to D 
DJ Moore as the wide receiver one. Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool as secondary and tertiary options. Cole Komet and Robert Tunyon splitting tight end snaps. They invested in Roshan Johnson, who's one of the hardest hitting pass blockers in this draft. They did everything they could to set him up with a pass-first ecosystem. And people who only watch the NFL think of Justin Fields as like Tim Tebow. Like this man can only run the ball and he can't throw it all. Go back and watch his college tape because he wasn't a rusher at all. Nobody predicted him to make this leap as a pass rusher in the NFL. He was drafted mm-hmm. to be a pocket quarterback, and now they've surrounded him with good pass blockers and good pass catchers. So I'm expecting his rushing output to take a huge step backwards. He's not rushing for 1,150 yards this year. Hate to break it to you guys. I'm expecting more between 500 and 700 yards, but I think we see him pass for at least 3,000 yards. If he can sniff 4,000, it wouldn't surprise me at all because that is the type of quarterback that they drafted him to be and out of necessity he turned into a run first quarterback so again i'm just dumping the kool-aid on my face right now i know i'm setting Mm -hmm. myself up for some terrible receipts in a few months but i'm expecting the bears to take a huge step forward this year so you mentioned at a couple places the bears are setting justin fields up to pass more i would agree but i think one thing that's interesting is that this team overall had the most rushing yards in the in the entire nfl last year And when you look at the running back room, there's just no investment anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I think we'd all agree there's going to be fantasy points scored from at least somebody. We have Khalil Herbert, sixth round pick. Deonta Foreman, one year, $2 million. Roshan Johnson that you mentioned earlier, he was taken in the fourth round. The way I'm at least seeing it right now is Khalil Herbert's probably getting 15 carries a game. Foreman gets seven to 10 carries. And then Roshan Johnson might touch the ball every now and then on the ground, but he's mostly in there for pass catching. And then later in the season, if Roshan Johnson plays well, he eats into a little bit more of the rushing workload. But that doesn't really make anyone super sexy in fantasy. How are you viewing the backfield? I I want to buy into Khalil Herbert, but without the pass catching, it's hard for me to kind of rate him as more than like a, a seventh, eighth round pick in fantasy. Yeah, and I think if you look like when you start projecting the Bears offense, Khalil Herbert looks to be the clear RB1, and he looks like he's going to lead the team in rushing. But for whatever reason, the staff just hasn't really been in on Khalil Herbert, despite leading the league in rushing yards over expectation last year, you know, just putting up all of the nerdy metrics that we as fantasy guys just love to see. They never really lengthened his leash. You know, David Montgomery was still the guy. So that's my concern is that Khalil Herbert was drafted by a different GM for a different head coach, and I'm not sure as good as he is, as good as his vision is, as good as his burst is, that he is really a good fit for this offense. So for them to go out and sign Deonta Foreman and then for them to draft Roshan Johnson, I think they're kind of setting themselves up for the future. But, you know, a lot of people kind of scoff at the Bears not investing anything in their running backs. But isn't this the smart thing to do? Like, you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth where everybody's making fun of the Lions for drafting a running back and making fun of the Falcons for drafting a running back in the first round. Well, the Bears are just saying this is a non-premium position, and we know that we can just churn through this group of guys and get our production there. So I think it's pretty savvy. Um, That being said, when you start looking at ADP, I much prefer Roshan Johnson over the rest of the guys. He's looked fantastic so far in the preseason, even despite missing some early parts of camp with an injury. If there's Mm -hmm. anybody that's going to possess elite upside, uh, it's going to be Roshan Johnson. Now, Khalil Herbert, you know, if everything works out well for him, he might be a top 15, top 20 guy, you know, if all the chips fall right. But I think that Roshan Johnson, giving his pass catching upside, and his tackle breaking, which is translated immediately into the NFL, as we've seen in the preseason, I think he could secure 
the RB1 role and then having the abilities as a pass catcher as well, I think set him up for the highest range of outcomes. So he's a little bit cheaper mm-hmm. in drafts and he's the guy that I prefer the most, even though Khalil Herbert's probably the slightly safer pick. Yeah, I have to agree there. And uh, what I'll say is for people that do want to bet on Khalil Herbert, he's a very fun player. I, I took on DraftKings Sportsbook about a week ago, Khalil Herbert to lead his division in rushing at 30 to one. And the way I saw it was in Green Bay, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. It's tough to see them getting more than 1,000, 1,100 yards. There's no more Dalvin Cook. It's Alexander Madison. That doesn't feel like a player that's running for 1,400. Then we we go to the Lions, and I'm like, oh, this David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs committee doesn't really feel like it's going to produce a guy that's rushing for 11, 1,200 yards. I think if Khalil Herbert stays healthy, he can give us like 70 yards a game. And suddenly leads the division, and that's at thirty to one, so, or at least the last time I checked. So, would recommend that. I'd also recommend our our rankings, cheat sheet, strategy guide. They're all free on the thirty third team dot com. Make sure to check that out. And Ryan's win loss predictions are also on the site as well. Ryan, talk to us uh, about a, a prediction that's that's going to have fans of that team up in arms. Yeah, we haven't really talked much about the Washington Commanders this year, Josh. I have them at 6-11. and 11. I think they're in a transitional phase here. New owner. I'd, I'd bet on new coaching staff next year, start fresh next season. Yeah, Offensive, offensive line's better, but they're still an average at best unit. I'm not a Sam Howell enthusiast. I, I, don't, I don't personally understand the, the enthusiasm here. That said, like Washington actually has a pretty good roster. Top end, front four on defense, the secondary's better. And, you know, for us guys here, they have a lot of fantasy-relevant players. Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson. For me, I actually like Brian Robinson in certain in certain builds, especially if I am if I do hero running back or zero running back and he's sitting there in around the 9, 10th round range, I'm taking Brian Robinson more often than not. Dave, is there anyone on the commanders that you're interested in fantasy this year? I mean, I like a lot of the guys there, and that's kind of the problem is what you said about Sam Howell, not being a Sam Howell enthusiast. Right. Neither am I. And, um, you know, I've been saying it all offseason. And again, this is a receipt that could come back to haunt me at some point. But I think we see Jacoby Brissett at some point. You know, Ron Rivera is on the hot seat right now. And Jacoby Brissett has proven year after year that he is a capable NFL starter. So, again, that's just kind of the issue is I like Terry McLaurin. I like Jahan Dotson. I like Antonio Gibson. I like Brian Robinson. Even once we get later, you know, I like Curtis Samuel. There's a lot of talented guys, and I'm not sure that this offense can support all of them. So I'm kind of throwing my darts all over the place. I don't want to be overexposed to anybody on the commanders. The one guy, though, that I think is a little bit underpriced right now is Antonio Gibson, currently getting drafted as RB33. Uh, you know, with the offensive coordinator switching and bringing in Eric Bieniemy, he has shown a penchant for liking to target the running back. And Antonio Gibson, being a former college wide receiver, he has that pass catching upside. So um, again, you know, once I get into those middle parts of the drafts, I'm swinging for upside. The same way that I prefer Roshan Johnson to Khalil Herbert, I prefer Antonio Gibson because he's got that. I mean, that play that he had against the Bills last year, what was it, week one or week two? It was one of the best plays of the year. And then, like, they just stopped featuring him after that, after he ripped through the entire defense, like, does a reverse one-handed dunk into the end zone, like something I've never seen a football player do before. And they were just like, all right, that was cool. We're going to give the ball to Brian Robinson now. Um, I hope that Eric Bieniemy realizes the talent that they have in Antonio Gibson and features him a little bit more. So 
getting drafted as RB33. He's a guy that I find myself liking a lot just because if he does fall into that Eric Bieniemy featured running back role, his upside could be immense. Yeah, I might have to add a new rule to the cheat sheet. If you've gone light at running back, take a commander's running back. I know Ryan and I lean Robinson. You lean Gibson. I'm not fading Gibson by any means. And I think it's just because like one of them does feel like they're going to take off to, to some form. So yeah, that might be a good rule to add is light on running back. Hey, uh, Washington commanders for a little value. And just a reminder, guys, you can follow Dave at Dave Kluge on Twitter and go to footballguys.com. If you want to keep Dave employed, their plans start as low as $4 per month. Now, last year, I was really high on Sky Moore. I was very wrong. Really wrong. He was on your bench, wasting away, and then you dropped him on waivers just to see him catch a touchdown in the Super Bowl, <laughs> which I did bet on and hit. So I made money on Sky Moore last season. It was not all for nothing. <laughs> I've reflected on that mistake, and I've decided I'm back in. I, I think he's going to step right into the Juju Smith-Schuster role for the league's best passing offense. I was a year too early, but I'm not just going to be like, oh, I missed on Sky Moore. That's terrifying. Let's not, let's never touch that again. I'm like, you know what? Every year's different. I'm back in. Dave, that player for you was Deshaun Watson. Last year, you were so high on Deshaun Watson. It was terrible. He didn't do anything. He comes back in the final six weeks and you, you really just couldn't start him. But like I was with Sky Moore, you reflect, you look at the data points, you, you watch the film, you get better. And you said, you know what? I am back in on Deshaun Watson for 2023 Ryan and I are also in on Deshaun Watson but our audience is tired of hearing the two of us talk about him yeah. tell us why you have recovered and are now back in on Deshaun Watson well I think you're giving me too much credit by saying that I reflected and looked at the data points and looked at the film <laughs> because if you do that on Deshaun Watson there is no logical reason to be in on him I mean he sucked last That's year true. he was yeah. he was yeah. terrible and there's nothing you can find from his 2022 tape or numbers <laughs> to say yeah this guy is a good investment what you got to do yeah. is look through everything else and look at what he did 2021 and before when he was a top 5 quarterback or better per game every single season so that's what you got to hope is that you know there was I don't want to get too in the weeds about Deshaun Watson. He's not a guy that I really like talking about publicly all that much. We know what's going right. on. And because of that, I mean, there's a lot of people for very good reason that will never, yeah. ever draft Deshaun Watson. He could be sitting there in the 18th round of the draft and they say, no, I am not taking him. And because of that, I think that just from a game theory standpoint, it has made him a value because a large percentage of drafters are just completely out on him. So, I mean, really, it's a prayer at this point. Um, you know, once you get into that part of the draft, uh, once you get through your kind of big seven, big eight, if you want to include Trevor Lawrence, every single person after that has glaring problems. You know, Tua Tungabailoa with the, the concussion issues and Anthony Richardson being a rookie and Dak Prescott hasn't really done it over the last few years. Kirk Cousins as vanilla as they come. You can kind of pick holes in every single guy. The guy with the biggest upside, in my opinion, is Deshaun Watson. So that's why I'm going back to the well, not because I saw anything last year that incited hope, just that I'm hoping that, you know, a second year in the system, being the week one starter, all of those sorts of things can help us see the guy that he was prior to his suspension and what he was in 2021 before. All right, Dave, Cooper Cup has a hamstring issue right now. He's 30 years old. He missed half of last season. That said, the Rams reliance very, very reliant on the Stafford to Cooper Cup connection. Cup was the leader in fantasy points per game in each of the last two seasons. He could realistically lead all wide receivers in every major category again, like he did in 2021. The offensive line still a big question mark in Los Angeles. 
That said, Dave, are you in on Cooper Cup this year? I'm so in on Cooper Cup. Like, in on Cooper Cup to the point point that, like, if he doesn't hit, my wife might leave me. I've invested so <laughs> much of our money in Cooper Cup overs, and he's been my 103 steadily in best ball drafts. Like, as soon as he started dipping into 107 in best ball, I just started drafting more. My exposure, I usually don't take a strong stance in the early rounds, and I think that was right. – sort of a mistake of mine in the past is that I would just go chalk for the first few rounds in best ball and then kind of try to target my guys later. I have never taken a stance on an early round guy the way I'm taking a stance on Cooper Cup. I'm inching up on 20% exposure, which is terrifying for all of the reasons you listed, you know, over 30 (laughs) hamstring issues. But if you look, he has had the highest floor and the highest ceiling of any wide receiver for the last two years. You talk about the offensive line concerns. We could talk about Matthew Stafford's elbow. That didn't stop him from being the per-game wide receiver one last year. I'd look back at all of his games, dating back to the start of 2021. Matthew Stafford showed up in Los Angeles. He has scored 30-plus PPR points in one in three outings. 32% of his games, wow. he has scored 30 or more points. Outside of the game that he got injured last year and missed the majority of the game, he has had a 10-point floor. He hasn't scored less than 10 points, and he scored 30-plus in almost one-third of his outings. He scored 20-plus in over 70% of his outings. I mean, he is a chief killer. <laughs> like, we're looking at what prime Antonio Brown was doing in Pittsburgh. So, yeah, there's the concerns that his hamstring falls off or Matthew Stafford's arm falls off or this offensive line continues to be a sieve, but... None of those problems seem to stop him last year. He actually scored more points per game last year than he did in his record-breaking 2021 season. So I'm planting the flag. Cooper Cup is my 103 ride or die, and please don't make me look bad, Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a that was that was a brave statement uh, to to your 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 family, everyone out there. We <laughs> we wish them well, <laughs> and we wish Cooper Cup's hamstring well, also. Uh, well, that's the other. The last thing I'll say about his hamstring mm-hmm. is there are almost no indications that this is going to linger into the season. The risk for re-injury goes up slightly, um, so that is definitely concerning. But you get that with every receiver. You know, there's there's injury concerns right. with every NFL player, and Stefania Bell and Adam Hutchinson and people that are much smarter than I when it comes to analyzing injuries talk about how he is just a workhorse when it comes to recovery, doing everything he can to get in tip-top shape from his diet to his stretching to his working out to physical therapy, all those sorts of things. And then it's become kind of a cliche at this point, but that Rams medical room is incredible with what they can do. I mean, look at Cam Akers, tore his ACL and was back on the field seven months later. So my investment in Cooper Cup has a lot to do with his work ethic and also a lot to do with the Rams training staff. I like it. One thing I'll add is my my good friend, Edwin Porras, he does injury analysis for Fantasy Points. He sent me a copy of his little ebook that he created for injuries. It's very good. And he had this little table with reoccurrence rates. The hamstring reoccurrence rate, I believe, was about 33 or 34%. So that, that table, I think, makes the price of his ebook worth it on its own. I'd never seen anything like that. So, uh, Dave, your chances of financial ruin are one in three. So now, now you know. We, we've so quantified one, it. The one other thing I'll say is that this injury happened over a month away from the season. If the hamstring was injured in season, they'd be much more prone to trying to get him back early. And even if he's not 100%, they say, hey, Cooper, you know, we need you out there mm-hmm. on Sunday. You know, suck it up, shoot some cortisone in his leg and send him out there. With it being preseason, he doesn't need preseason reps. He doesn't need camp reps. They're going to be as careful as they can. So I'm hoping, praying, and investing my money in the fact that he'll be back to 100% by week one. 
I think the most important part of all this is that if your hamstring is hurt, you can still eat breakfast with Matthew Stafford. So <laughs> we should all remember that. Now, later this week, Ryan and I are going to have an article out on how to crush your fantasy drafts, whether it's on ESPN, Yahoo, Sleeper, the ADPs there. Dave knows this, this as well. It's They're exploitable. I mean, any of us that are doing high volume drafts, we're pretty aware of where players should be going at this point. And you can spot the discrepancies on platforms and you go, wow, this player goes round four one place, round six another. Why would I ever take him round four on this platform? I'll simply take him in round six in this one. So we'll have that out for you. Now, one player that you're always high on, regardless of ADP, Dave, is Lamar Jackson. Is this the year he returns to elite fantasy football quarterback status? And if so, how does that trickle down to the Ravens now plentiful receiving options for fantasy football? So much like I just talked about, you know, the the Bears and how I expect them to be a more pass heavy offense, even though historically we haven't seen that from Justin Fields. I'm expecting very similar things in Baltimore. You know, obviously the first round investment in Zay Flowers giving a terrible, what, $15 million contract to Odell Beckham. I don't agree with it, but they're showing their hand as to what they want to do. And this all ties together with Todd Bunkin and the Todd Munkin offense, which is completely different than what we've seen historically that Lamar Jackson has operated under. He's been in this Greg Roman offense where they do some really fun things, pulling linemen and getting them out, blocking downfield. And, you know, everything is very horizontal and the pass game is just an extension of the run game and, you know, little check downs to tight ends in the flat and things like that, which really helps him pad his efficiency numbers. Now you go to Todd Munkin, which couldn't be more different. They're going to stretch defenses vertically, and they have three guys that can get behind a defense, and Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman, and Odell Beckham. They've also got J.K. Dobbins, who has never really been utilized as a pass catcher, but absolutely has the skill set to do so. So I'm excited because we've seen that on the few occasions where Lamar Jackson has thrown deep, he is a very accurate deep ball passer, and that is how this offense is going to work now. Now, I talked about how all three of these receivers, Flowers, Bateman, and Beckham, have the ability to get deep, but they're also very versatile receivers. So they're going to keep defenders on their toes. You know, they can at any time come back to the ball. They can, you know, run all sorts of different routes. This is going to be a fun, high-flying offense, and I'm expecting Lamar Jackson, because he still has the rushing upside, they're not going to be able to just drop back in deep coverage and try to put a shell over the defense. They're going to have to play close to the line because of Lamar Jackson's rushing upside. And this is just what we see the NFL turning into now. Josh Allen, Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, these guys that have rushing ability, you have to pick your poison. Either you're going to get beat on the ground by the quarterback or you're going to play up front, try to stop the run, and then get beat on the deep shots downfield. So I think that this offense is going to be tailor-made for Lamar Jackson. The only reason I can't move him up higher in my rankings than where I have him right now at QB4 is because Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Jalen Hurts are in the league. I mean, there are those are really, really good quarterbacks, and yeah. not moving Lamar Jackson up is no disrespect to him. It's just how good those three are. So really, I'm trying to get these top six guys, you know, the three that I just mentioned, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, Justin Herbert. Those are the guys that I'm trying to get in all of my drafts because Kellen Moore is going to do similar things in for the Chargers that – um, you know, Todd Munkin is going to do in Baltimore and what this new offense is going to do in Chicago. So they are great consolation prizes. I know I kind of lumped Justin Herbert in there as well, but those three quarterbacks, I think, are the best consolation prizes if you miss out on the big three in the third round. Yeah, I actually bet on Lamar Jackson to lead the league in interceptions at long odds because he's gotten close in the past with like a reduced, like you said, 
His previous offense is more like layups, checkdowns to tight ends in the flat, up and up, up in the ante and aggressiveness, up and up the ante and passing volume. I think there's a path there. That said, I still think he's perfectly ranked at fourth as the fourth quarterback in fantasy football. And, now that, and I that's, think I could I could totally see him leading the league in interceptions and still yeah. putting up 25 fantasy points a game. <laughs> right. Exactly. Me too, man. Yeah. Me too. People also like think of interceptions as like the, this awful thing. Didn't yeah. Stafford lead lead the league in interceptions yeah. two years ago when they won the Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Like Josh Prescott's good Josh quarterback. Josh Prescott last, last year were both throwing interceptions yeah. every single week. Yeah. If you went, if you were to go look through Matthew Stafford's stats year by year in his career, you'd be stunned at some of the interception totals that he's had. And he's probably a, at least a borderline Hall of Famer at this point too. I mean, Brett yeah, Favre probably. is the career right. interceptions leader. Like these, right, right. And, and they're fun quarterbacks to watch, man. Those guys that aren't afraid to just let it rip downfield. Yeah, they throw a lot of interceptions, but you know they also score a lot of points and put up a lot of yards and score a lot of touchdowns. Now, guys, I have a confession to make. I've drafted over 500 best ball teams this year. Josh, I know. I know. Josh, I know you're in the hundreds. Dave, I know you. You're a high volume player as well. It's one of the reasons we're able to talk about this stuff the way that we are. Now that said, Dave, there's a big transition from best ball to redraft. What is the difference in roster construction between the two formats? I don't prioritize stacking nearly as much in best or in, I'm sorry in redraft. If it falls into my lap, great, but it's not something that I'm you know reaching for a few picks like oh you know i got lamar jackson i need to get say flowers here that just isn't quite as important to me in redraft but i think the biggest thing as maybe not so much roster construction but in these big tournaments i am swinging for the fences man i I don't know if you guys are baseball fans but i joke around that i'm adam dunn when i get to the mid rounds i am either trying to get a home run or strike (laughs) out i like it three true outcomes yeah exactly (laughs) i I could care less about you know drafting a guy that's going to give me eight points a week when i'm in the mid rounds i'm looking for the guys that are going to break out so i think a lot of the guys that we talk about this time of year are the very polarizing players with huge range of outcomes you know calvin ridley ramadre stevenson Brees hall Kyle Pitts, all of those guys I think are going to be much more affordable in your redraft leagues because right now, drafting Calvin Ridley at the top of the third round seems crazy. He hasn't played football in two years. He's on a new team with stiff target competition, but we know that if everything works out well for Calvin Ridley, he's got a top three wide receiver finish in his range of outcomes, and that's why he's going where he is because you're not competing against 11 of your buddies that you like drinking beer with. You're competing against hundreds of thousands of sharks for millions of dollars, and that high-end range of outcomes is what makes him alluring. So, yeah, we're paying up for Calvin Ridley in best ball at the 2-3 turn, but when you're drafting in your home league with your buddies, you could probably get Calvin Ridley in the middle of the fourth round, maybe early fifth round is your wide receiver three because that risk, if he doesn't hit, is going to hurt you. And that's your only team. That's your only shot of winning. If Kelvin Ridley doesn't hit, oh, well, that's 8% of your best ball rosters. It's not the end of the world. You've still got 92% of your rosters that you can fall back on that hopefully have better picks. So I think that's the biggest thing is that we're really swinging for the high end range of outcomes with some of these polarizing guys. That was very well said. One thing I'll add when you're transitioning from best ball to redraft is kind of the importance of getting receivers early. People talk about getting receivers early in best ball. That matters. You want your receivers early, but especially in redraft. Like if you think about best ball, if I'm taking some of these late guys, like even like I think Allen Robinson is kind of a fun final round pick in best ball. He's probably gonna have a few weeks starting the slot for the Steelers. Am I ever starting Allen Robinson in a managed league? <laughs> Absolutely not. Do I think he's going to hit 12 to 15 fantasy points in two to three games this year? Yes. I will not try to predict when they are. He is off my radar completely for redraft. 
So I, I think that's one thing that, that is very important is it's almost even more important to get the, those backup running backs and just stack the end of your bench oh, with yeah. young backup running backs whenever possible. We're in best ball. Like, yeah, that's a good strategy, but it's also a good strategy if you need some receivers to take like an Allen Robinson, uh, the kind of guy you would never start in a managed league. So just to riff off of that, I say this all the mm-hmm. time that if you're in a redraft league, however many wide receivers you can start, let's say it's a three wide receiver, two flex league. I'm not rostering more than six wide receivers. However many you can start plus one, that's how many wide receivers I'm holding. I want my entire bench. I don't care about backup running back or backup quarterbacks. I don't care about backup tight ends. I want my entire bench to be loaded with Zamir Whites and Keontae Ingrams and Deion Jacksons and the guys that have zero standalone value, but have that contingent upside that you can either plug them into your lineup or put them up on the trade block when, you know, the starter inevitably goes down. So that's, that's again, you, you, I completely blanked thinking about that, but that is something I preach all the time is that your bench should be 80% mm-hmm. injury away running backs. Yeah. While we're on it uh, off the show sheet, cutting to you, Ryan, give it, give us a late round running back that you like. Oh, for me, uh, it's been Zamir white for most of the year, but now he's starting to get mm-hmm. steamed. Now, like I'm going to dip my toe in a Ty Chandler a little bit. No, good athlete, pass oh, yes. catching upside. That That's where I'm going now. The worst part about like being it. sharp as a drafter is that all of the guys you like end up going up in value. Early in the offseason, I wasn't even drafting in the 18th round. I'd make my 17th round pick, queue up Ty Chandler and autopilot, not even think twice yeah. about it. And now all of a sudden he's going earlier. Same thing with Zamir White. So that yeah. does make it a little bit tough at times. You have to constantly churn <laughs> through who your late round pick is. But yeah, Zamir White and Ty Chandler are both guys that I am way way above exposure on yeah i like those two let me add in while we're at it another name clyde edwards alaire goes in the final round of drafts he's got injury contingent value on two sides with isaiah pacheco and jerick mckinnon he was actually the team starting running back last year ahead of pacheco before he got injured i think pacheco is the starter now but it feels like the kind of situation where pacheco doesn't play well for a game and suddenly ceh is back in there so uh, the former 101 in redraft from what, like three years ago, <laughs> criminally undervalued as a freebie at the end of drafts. I'm just proud that you were able to tout Clyde Edwards Alaire without referencing his first round draft capital because I want to wring people's neck when they're like a former <laughs> first round pick. It doesn't matter at this point in his career. <laughs> he is a bust. It was a terrible pick at the time and it looks even worse now. Take his first round draft capital and throw it out the window at this point. <laughs> yeah. Don't draft him for that. Draft him because injury contingent upside on the Chiefs. I like it. Now, Dave, you and I actually came up at the exact same time in the industry. I think Ryan actually might have been like a touch ahead of us in some ways with, with what he was doing at Establish the Run, but I'm not quite sure on that timeline. All I remember is you and I started on Twitter kind of like two to three months into 2020 COVID times. (laughs) That was when we got our start. There were very few of us that started then. And there were, there were a few of us that have kind of remained consistent throughout those years. A lot of people want to get started in the industry. I know you and I have actually talked off air many times about how we got a little bit lucky because of COVID and how everything sort of panned out with our opportunities, but there's still a lot of advice that's pretty actionable that we can give out. So what's something that you would tell someone that hits the DMs or something like that, or comments on one of your things. You're like, Hey Dave, love your work. And I kind of want to be like you one day, or I want to make it in the industry. What would you tell that person? 
You know, that that's a loaded question. Um, and, and I think everybody's path has to be different. You know, if you try following the exact path that somebody else laid out, people are going to catch on to it and they're going to see that this person is inauthentic and disingenuous or whatever it may be. So I think that the best way to be successful in this industry is to just be yourself. And, you know, I definitely paint myself a little bit differently publicly than the person I am in real life. Um, you know, in real life, I, I cuss like a sailor and I don't do that on social media because I know that that's a way to alienate people. Josh, you and I have talked politics off air before. And when we're on hikes and stuff like that, you'll never see me air my politics out on social media. So I, I am genuinely myself on social media, but I give a more palatable version that I know won't alienate people. But when it comes to my takes, I'm not trying to align with the consensus. As a matter of fact, when I have a consensus take, I usually don't even talk about it because guess what? There's a hundred other people that are talking about it. I don't need to tell you guys that Justin Jefferson is the 101 and here's why you need to draft Justin Jefferson 101 because there's a hundred people already doing that. When I am talking about my takes, I try to find where I misalign with the consensus. And then that's what I talk about because it gives me an opportunity to show my process and show why I think the consensus is wrong. If you're going to do that though, you need to have thick skin because as soon as you stray from the consensus, you're going to have a ton of people calling you an idiot and saying you don't know what you're talking about. But I am very intentional about the takes that I talk about on social media because I want to find where the consensus I believe is wrong and how you can exploit that. But it's not an easy road to go. You know, if you're going to do that, you got to be prepared for a lot of pushback. That's great advice. I, I think leaning into your disagreements is where a lot of people are actually the most nervous. And I think you're kind of a, a product of success there and showing people that that can actually be a pretty good strategy in terms of moving up the, the corporate ladder within this space. One thing that I'll add on. So while I was kind of first publicly a figure in this space, kind of like early 2020, I actually worked for Matt Kelly, a player profiler behind the scenes for over two years prior to kind of that emergence. And my advice is just compete with as few people as possible. And that's kind of how I made it was I, I had a, a master's in analytics. I uh, was actually pretty bad at analytics. Couldn't really crack it as a data scientist. When I, I used to work in baseball analytics, I, I was clearly outclassed doing that full time as my job. And what I kind of realized was that it was desperately needed in the football space. I met Matt and he was like, would you like to do some coding for player profiler? And I said, yeah, let's see what football play-by-play -play data looks like. That's very interesting. And the reason he chose me in many ways was not because I was the best. He couldn't find anyone. There was nobody with that skill set. We were at a sports analytics conference and he was like, dude, I cannot find anyone with this skill set. I think you have it. You can code in R and you actually know football, watch it and intuitively understand it. And I think that that's something that maybe it's not analytics for you, the listener, but something like that. And like the, the comparison I'll make is a lot of people try to make in the space and they're like, I really want to write waivers or I want to do start sit. And you can do that. It's possible, but you're going to compete with five, 10, 20,000 people that also are able to do it. It's possible to make it, but you truly have to be the best. I did not have to be the best with analytics. I literally was just in the room next to Matt and he needed someone that knew how to code and I knew how to code and I knew football. And that was apparently a rare combo. And then when I transitioned to a more public front-facing role in this industry, I once again didn't want to compete with anybody and I realized there was no one that 
new analytics and showed personality. It was all like, I'm very personable or I'm very, very analytical and I'm a doorknob with my personality. And I was kind of like, well, I like analytics, but I'm not wedded to it. And I have at least some kind of personality that's not full on doorknob. It's only like 80% doorknob. And it turned out that that ended up, that was a pretty successful strategy because I don't even know if I was good at what I did early on. I honestly don't. But one thing I do know is that there was no one else doing the same thing. And it's very easy to stand out when you're not competing with anybody. So whether that's analytics, video editing, something like that, uh, your ability to host, there's going to be something out there where you do it in a different, unique, good way that no one else can. And that's what you should lean into rather than just being like, hire me to write the generic article or to do targets and fades each week. So that, that would be kind of what I'd add there. Ryan, your path to getting started. A little little peek behind the curtain too. I mean, you and I, we aren't just, I think people have this conception that you and I just are full-time in the industry to do podcasts and write articles. That couldn't be further from the truth. Like we do so much more like over at football guys, Mm -hmm. I am handling our um, advertising sales. I'm also working with the business partnerships that we have. I am, uh, you know, I do a lot with our marketing team. I do a lot of the social media work that we do. You know, I manage a team of our marketers. There's so much behind the scenes things that you and I are doing. So I think that's a big thing too, is like people think like if you're trying to make it solely as a content creator and you're hoping that a website is going to hire you full time, that's a very, very tough road to make it. So you got to find out what your secondary and tertiary skills are and how those can be applied to a company. And then if you're lucky, maybe they'll let you start doing some content on top of that. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, I think Ryan's in kind of the same boat where everyone sees the massive amount of content that he does. They don't see a lot of the behind the scenes work there. They're not in the meetings that the two of us have throughout the week discussing how do we want to take our content? How do we want to change this tool? What kind of module do we want to create down the line? What's our, what's going to be our plan for discord or uh, the new YouTube channel that we've recently created. There's so much more than purely just like, please let me write about gut feel fantasy analysis. And I think a lot of people think that's it. And really, that's just a great path to make $20 an article for a site. But if you want to do more, you should probably also be able to contribute more. Ryan, talk to us about your path briefly and anything that you'd want to add to this, because your start was different than Dave and I. But I think like a common theme was that you found your niche and you were really good at it and stood out as a result. Yeah. One thing I'll say with with what you guys said before is, I first messaged Dave when he had like 800 Twitter followers. So, you know, I pride myself on being early on things and I saw what Dave could be early. You know, and I'll say this, and you said this about, you know, what your job is at football guys. Dave's a good businessman with a plan. You know, like I'd, I'd have a plan long-term where you want to be five years from now, just not today. So to that end, I, I think I've had kind of a unique path in this industry because I've worked for two industry. I got my start with two industry titans. Evan Silva and Adam Levitan. And now I work with, you know, at a company that's co-founded by former NFL executives, Joe Banner. Like you have to get through Joe Banner to get hired here, you know, and Joe Banner's, Mm -hmm. let's just say Joe Banner's a tough out. So uh, (laughs) to that end, I think, you know, I'll say three things here. One is networking is important Two, be much better on Twitter and social media than I am. These guys are significantly better in that area than I am. So figure out where you're weak and try to get better there. And the other one I'll add is this. Be very aware that guys like Evan Silva, Adam Levitan, and Joe Banner don't need you to be successful. What they need you to do is to provide a service for their users and make their lives easier. How are you going to do that? 
one of the ways that I came at this is my business background. I'm good at math, but at the end of the day, I'm more of a football guy. I'm more of a headbutt in the teeth kind of guy than a lot of the people mm-hmm. in our industry. So I can come at things from a different angle. And like, and like both of you guys said, the business component of all this stuff, bring more skills to the table than just doing content if you want to get hired full time. Before I uh, continue with the show, Ryan's right. He, he's, his social media is not the strongest part of his game. He's getting better. Please, wow. in his valiant efforts, follow him <laughs> at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. We will get him to 6,000 followers before the season starts. And right, I, I, I remember when you reached out to me too, and, and like that was you know huge for me at the time because there aren't a lot of people that take notice when you're brand new in the industry. So um, you know, don't want to get all sappy here on the show, but I just I remember when you reached out and I was like, wow, like somebody from established the run is recognizing what I'm doing, and that was like a huge pivotal moment for me. That for you was probably just a hey, you know, good job, keep up the good work. But I remember that vividly. So you know, those those things do go a long way, and uh, I'm I'm always appreciative of that message that you sent me back in the day, Ryan. That's great to hear, and you know, your success is not even a mild surprise, Dave. Thank you. Now to that end, let's get back to the football stuff. If we start, you know, shedding tears here on this football, show. Yeah. Now let's talk. Let's <laughs> talk some football. football. Yeah. Josh and I are generally flexible when it comes to roster construction and letting the draft come to you, letting it play out. You know, like say, like if you if you let Bijan Robinson slip to pick twenty, I'm going to take him every time. You know, I'd actually be thrilled in that scenario. But that said, neither of us are big fans of the robust running back strategy. You know, again, I just said I'm a maniac that's done 500 best ball drafts. So some of them and some of them I've taken three running backs in the fourth round. And I always hate those teams because wide receiver tends to dry up early, especially this year. Now, Dave, is there a strategy you simply won't entertain in your drafts this season? Yeah, I think anything that doesn't allow you to get a handful of wide receivers in the first few rounds. So robust running back, I don't want anything to do with that because those teams end up looking disgusting. Um, Zero wide receiver. Don't want it. I've done bully tight end before. Where I start my draft off with Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, and it's a lot of fun through two <laughs> rounds. And then you get into round three, and you're like, what did I do? <laughs> so I think anything that doesn't allow you to get at least two wide receivers in the first four rounds is just not going to be a sound strategy this year. And it sounds crazy because, like, years ago when I came into the industry, I was all about zero wide receiver. And, you know, you had the the Adam Thielens and Justin Jeffersons and Debo Samuels and Cooper Cups, and we had these guys that were just hitting in the mid-rounds every single year. But since then, like since that 2020, 2021 season, we've gotten so much better at projecting wide receivers. Last year, eight of the top 10 wide receivers in preseason ADP finished inside the top 10. The only two guys that didn't were Debo Samuel who got, you know, hamstrung by a midseason trade for Christian McCaffrey and Mike Evans, who we didn't expect Chris Godwin to come back as soon as he did. We didn't expect him to be as effective as he did. And in turn, Mike Evans had the most or the, the least inefficient season of his career. So we've gotten very, very good at projecting wide receivers. And you don't want to miss out on those early wide receivers, because when you're starting Deontay Johnson is your wide receiver one who I really like Deontay Johnson this year, but when he's your wide receiver one and Gabe Davis is your wide receiver two and Sky Moore, who we also like is your wide receiver three, you're not feeling too great about it. So any wide receiver that, or any draft strategy that doesn't allow you to get a couple of early wide receivers, isn't something that I want to lean into this year. I agree there. Everyone listening, they they saw the podcast title and they go fantasy targets and fades. Where are the fantasy targets and fades, folks? <laughs> we hit that segment of the show. We are going to be going rapid fire. Each of us, all three of us, have brought three targets 
and three fades to the table. 18 total players that you're going to get an actionable stance on. We're just going to quickly rotate through, tell you the, the player and why we, we like or don't like them. And before we get to that, one more reminder, at Dave Kluge, make sure you're following Dave if you're not already, at Ryan Reynolds NFL if you're not following Ryan on Twitter. You can see Ryan and I's work, the rest of the team's work on the33rdteam.com. We've got the free cheat sheet, color-coded, downloadable PDF for your fantasy leagues. My top 160 has full write-ups for all 160 players. I have the fantasy football game plan, the quick-hitting seven-minute read if you want to get prepped for your fantasy drafts. Ryan has his win totals for every division that he's been releasing. He's been writing up awards markets as well and how he views them. There's really nobody out there that is, I'd say, like as profitable consistently year to year in those markets as Ryan. So if you want to see how you should bet, offensive rookie of the year, MVP, first coach to get fired. He's putting out so much incredible content across all those different markets in so many unique ways. And then Dave, as I mentioned, is at Football Guys. And if you go to footballguys.com, their plans start at $4. I certainly have spent more than $4 before on a cup of coffee and thought it was worth it. Now, Dave, the guest, we're going to kick to you. Start us off with your first fade of the afternoon. First fade of the afternoon. Uh, Ramadre Stevenson. Is this who mm. we want to start off with, or do you want me to go with a different guy here? You start, you said his rip, name, man. you have to let it rip. Yeah. Once, rip, once the name is, is dropped. Why do you, so why do you hate Ramondre Stevenson in fantasy as a person? You wouldn't get a beer with him at the bar, all that, obviously. So, <laughs> yeah, so why, why is that all? If I sell him on the street, no, I'm kidding. I don't hate anybody, but I do hate Ramondre Stevenson's ADP. Um, and go. you know, I think if you look at the addition of Ezekiel Elliott, it is much less impactful than Dalvin Cook or Leonard Fournette would have been, but his ADP just hasn't fallen as much as I would have hoped. You know, he's going in the two, three turn for most of the offseason. He's going in the early fourth round now, but I'd still like to see a bigger discount. This is going to sound crazy, so bear with me for a second, but Robotre Stevenson's versatility is, I think, what makes him so tough to draft because he can do it all. He can be an early down plotter, he can be a goal back, and he can be a pass catching back. And trying to predict what role Bill Belichick is going to put him into is impossible. I mean, 30 plus years of coaching tendencies have told us that we don't know what Bill Belichick is going to do with these running backs. So we're drafting Ramadre Stevenson right now as the RB12, RB13, and he absolutely has high-end range of outcomes where he could be the overall RB1 if he falls into that pass-catching role where he's getting 80-plus targets a season. But what happens if the drumbeat we've been hearing about Ty Montgomery and Pierre Strong, what if that ends up being true and those are the passing down backs? And then what if Ezekiel Elliott takes the goal line work and all that's left for Ramadre Stevenson is the between the 20s low calorie touches? All of a sudden, Ramadre Stevenson, who has this very versatile skill set, is the new Damian Harris, where if he doesn't score 15 plus touchdowns, he's going to be a back end RB2. So I like Ramadre Stevenson and I understand the case for his upside, but I think the drafters are just completely ignoring the potential downside. Yeah, that's someone that you've been, you were very early on. I remember we went on a hike over a month ago and you said they're still going to sign someone. Uh, it's terrifying. They signed Zeke. And I think that that's a, that's a pretty big goal line throw right there at the very least. Ryan, walk us through uh, a fate of yours. 
So again, Dave's a Bears fan. NFC North fans understand who Aaron Rodgers is more than the public seems to. I think people see him get shelled by teams like San Francisco that have much better rosters, and like he gets hit and he panics and he's he loses big games. But like Aaron Rodgers is a unicorn, an absolute absolute unicorn. And you know, even if Jordan loves a good NFL starting quarterback this year, at the end of the day, we're going from unknown. We're going from one of the best quarterbacks to ever play in the history of the sport to a complete unknown. And to that end, why is Aaron Jones going to have a better year now than he has in the past? So I'm not, I'm not really interested in Aaron Jones in this current situation. Yeah, that's a player that that I have listed as a fade in my cheat sheet as well. It's a, uh, it's looking bleak for the. I believe he might be 29 already at this point. So a lot of concerns with him. I am going to stick with running back. It seems like we all wanted to fade a running back. I will fade Miles Sanders. Now, Miles Sanders last year was so good. Wasn't he? he was so good. 15 carries a game, career high. He turned that into 1,269 rushing yards, five yards a carry, 11 rushing touchdowns at Eagles offense, the top offensive line, Kalen Hurts making the linebackers uncomfortable, some nice running lanes for Miles Sanders. What a career season. Miles Sanders was the RB 16 and half PPR <laughs> per game. The RB 21 per game in PPR. Wow. Now he goes to Carolina. The offensive line is good, but not as good. Bryce Young is definitely not Jalen Hurts. I, I don't see the, the running lanes being quite as wide for Miles Sanders. He is even currently hurt. I feel like last year, him staying healthy for the first time in several seasons made us forget that this is a player who has routinely had nagging lower body injuries. He currently has one. I think the Panthers are going to be a pretty bad team. I don't see him hitting 11 touchdowns. Some people out there have said that the dormant pass catching is going to reemerge from Al Sanders because four years ago with Deuce Staley as the running backs coach, he had a lot of receptions and now Deuce Staley is also in Carolina. But what they failed to realize is the last three years when his pass game work was steeply declining, he was a, Terrible pass blocker. Awful. And do you want to know who's quarterback for the Panthers? A 200-pound rookie, Bryce Young. You really think they're going to have Miles Sanders out there missing pass blocking assignments and getting their extremely undersized quarterback crushed and go, you know what? Oh, God, that that looked bad. But Miles Sanders needs his fantasy points. Let's throw him out there next third down. I I, I think this is basically a two-down back and a bad offense. And I think we saw the high watermark. We saw him be a mid to low end RB2 for fantasy. That doesn't burn you. And that was in kind of the best possible situation. And he stayed healthy for all 17 games. I'm not drafting Miles Sanders. Ryan, let's let's get it. Let's get a little more positivity going. Hit us, hit us with a target that you like for fantasy. Dave mentioned him before, and I'm completely aligned with him on his stance. Calvin Ridley is the guy you want in tournaments. His upside is enormous. He's a difference maker. I was buying him earlier on in the process. I really miss being able to get my, you know, CD Lamb, Amon Ra, Calvin Ridley type teams in the first three rounds. I really, truly miss that. And, you know, our wide receiver guru, Jordan Vanek's high on Ridley too. So whenever Jordan's in on someone, I up my exposure on him. That said, in redraft, I, I agree with Dave on this. Like, this isn't really the profile you exactly want in most cases. You want a guy who's more consistent. Like, I would take Keenan Allen ahead of Calvin Ridley in a, in a season-long league where I would not in a best ball tournament. But that said, like like you said, Dave, in the fourth, fifth round, 
I'm trying to build my teams with either a zero running back team or an anchor running back team. So through the first, first four rounds, I ideally want one running back and three wide receivers. If I can get Ridley as my third wide receiver, I'll take the risk of the downside. I'm going to be very, very happy with that. So anytime, like even the late third round, I'm in, I'm interested in Ridley and, and redraft. I see Dave nodding in agreement. Anything to add on Ridley, Dave, before you give your first target of the day? I'll just say we had Jamie Eisenberg on the from CBS Sports. You know, fantastic at what mm-hmm. he does. Just an OG in the fantasy industry. We had him on uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he was talking about Calvin Ridley as one of his favorite targets. And I said something similar to what Ryan said. I said, man, if you can get him as your wide receiver three. And Alfredo Brown, yes. my co-host, kind of laughed at me, and he said, you're not getting Calvin Ridley as your wide receiver yeah. three. And Jamie Might Eisenberg says, hey, remember the draft we just did last weekend? I got Calvin Ridley as my wide receiver three. So it is right. possible. Roasted. You can, exactly. You can get <laughs> Calvin Ridley in the fourth round in your home league drafts is mm-hmm. an auto smash. Yeah. All right, Dave, give us another player. Who are you, who are you targeting? I mean, this one, I, I, I'm not going super deep here. All right. This guy might be getting steamed up to a top five pick with the way that hype has been building around him. But Amandra St. Brown is as safe as they come. And, you know, you talked about it, Ryan. You loved when you can get your CeeDee Lamb, Amonra St. Brown, Calvin Ridley teams. You might not even be able to get CeeDee Lamb and Amonra St. Brown in the same team soon enough. I mean, they are both getting steamed up draft boards, but for very good reason. Amonra St. Brown is tied with Justin Jefferson and Michael Thomas for the most receptions through his first two seasons, despite being a halftime player for half of his rookie season and being injured in year two. And, uh, you know, I I wrote off Amonra St. Brown after his rookie year. And I don't know if I'm a better analyst now than I was a few years ago, but that was a stupid call on my part. You know, I looked at DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson being injured, and that directly correlated with Amandre St. Brown's breakout. And I said, you know, it was a flash in the pan, not going to happen again. And I was swallowing my t- words by week three. I mean, by before his week three injury, only Cooper Cup and Stefan Diggs had more fantasy points than Amandre mm-hmm. St. Brown did. Um, I mean, he has just been outstanding. If you factor out the handful of games last year where he was either limited or exited early with an injury, he averaged 19.7 points per game, and that's over a 12-game sample. That would have been the wide receiver five behind Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, and Devontae Adams. That's it. Now, Mm -hmm. the big knock against him, and I think why some people might be a little bit concerned, is because he has struggled to win deep. But he did show signs of life at the end of last season where he was able to win deep. And we've seen it in camp as well, where they're focusing on him getting further downfield rather than just being that near the line of scrimmage kind of safety valve for for Jared Goff. So right now it sounds crazy, but I've got him as my wide receiver six. You know, you got your top four, I think is kind of unanimous. And then I have him and he and CeeDee Lamb in a tier by themselves kind of as my wide receiver five and wide receiver six. And the fact that you can start off with Amonra St. Brown in the early to mid part of your second round, he is such an easy draft for me there that if his ADP got steamed up all the way into the middle of the first round, I'd still be drafting Amonra. Ryan, I'm going to kick it to you. Talk about a, an Amon Rob bet you made. He's our coworker actually at the 33rd team, yep. my 10th ranked player on our cheat sheet with the little target symbol next to him. Ryan, what was the bet that you made on our the legal bet that you made on our coworker? I can't even believe that this is this is an insider trading. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I, I may never be able to bet on a guy that I actually work with at the same company in an awards market again. So I took Amon Ra at thirty five to one of the offensive player of the year race. I mean, Ooh. like like Dave right, like Dave just said. I mean, this guy's extraordinarily live to lead the league in receptions. You know, I'm higher on him. Can, if Dave didn't have Amon Ra on the show sheet for a target beforehand, he would have been one of mine. 
So I'm in on him. I, I, I think he should be in the 15 to one range personally in that market. Let's stick with the Detroit lions. I love Amon Ra. Dave and Ryan love Amon Ra. I won't speak for Dave. I'll speak for Ryan because I know his stance. He also loves with me, David Montgomery. Oh, yeah. David Montgomery is awesome. He, he put up with these terrible bears, offensive lines year after year. He always produced his four year track record in the NFL is 230 carries on average, 39 receptions over 1200 total yards and seven and a half touchdowns per season. That's fantastic. At least 235 touches every year. The Lions gave him a pretty large contract in free agency. I, I love Jameer Gibbs. He's probably a better player. Jameer Gibbs, though, is 199 pounds. David Montgomery's 25 pounds heavier. He's going to get goal line work. We just saw Jamal Williams go nuclear in this offense, leading the NFL in rushing touchdowns. That is in Montgomery's range of outcomes. I don't think he's going to lead the league in rushing touchdowns, but I also wouldn't say that he couldn't do it. He, he's a good pass catcher. Jared Goff's going to be targeting him whenever Montgomery's on the field on first and second down. Two weeks ago, Ryan and I had NFL insider, the 33rd team's own Ari Mayrov on the podcast. And to quote Ari, he said, David Montgomery will be the bell cow. That is what they view him as. They view Jameer Gibbs in the Alvin Kamara role, and they view David Montgomery as 250 to 300 touches. I cannot believe how late he goes when he plays with the best offensive line of his career. He's also just good at football. Uh, the Lions are just going to be a factory for fantasy points like they are the, the past couple years where the defense is still a little patchwork at times and the offense has guys like Amon Ross St. Brown and a top three offensive line. I think Montgomery's an RB2 in fantasy. And if anything happens to Jameer Gibbs, he has top five upside. That is why I can't get enough of him. He often goes in the, the sixth, seventh round of fantasy. I'd be willing to take him in the fifth round if I had to. Usually I don't, which is awesome. And I think that's a great player if you're going wide receiver early like the three of us often do. Dave, do you have anything to add to Montgomery before we move on? Since I know Ryan and I love him. I, I guess I'm standing on an island on this show, and I don't want to get too much All right, next. on a tangent here. But <laughs> That's fine. That's good. <laughs> Talk us out of them, Dave. Talk us yeah, out yeah. Him. Talk us out of our ridiculous exposures to money, Montgomery. I've just been a Bears fan for four years, and I've watched Montgomery up close, and he's just not that good. I mean, that's really. But I mean, you could have said the same thing about Jamal Williams last year, and that didn't stop him right. from getting what, like, forty-seven right. touches inside the ten-yard line and leading the league in a touchdown. So, I mean, if it's that simple where we just plug Jameer Gibbs into DeAndre Swift's role and plug David Montgomery into Jamal Williams' role. He's going to be a smash at his ADP, but I think that Jamal Williams is better than David Montgomery. I think Jameer Gibbs is better than DeAndre Swift, and we see the scale start to tip a little bit more towards DeAndre Swift, or I'm sorry, towards Jameer Gibbs. So uh, again, totally off on a tangent here. Don't mean to rain on your parade, but I have Jameer Gibbs as one of my biggest targets. You know, He's a guy that I can't get enough mm -hmm. of this year, and I think that is one where you do kind of have to draw a line in the sand because the ADPs for both are so both so high. That's a tough one where I can, you know, I don't feel comfortable drafting both, and I do prefer Gibbs a little bit more. Well, uh, producer said I can't kick Dave off the show at this point. <laughs> hey, I've been wrong before, and I could be. People wrong are here. enjoying the show. They said you have to just can it and keep going. Dave, we'll we'll get one more fade from you. Who, who's your second fade? Uh, this is probably my biggest fade of the year. 
Um, this is a guy yeah. that I have almost 0% exposure on. And I don't want to pat myself on the back too hard, but two years ago, I faded Mike Davis. Last year, I faded Chase Edmonds. And this guy is the certified stamp of approval, Dave Kluge fade <laughs> of the year. I want nothing to do with Alexander Madison. I just cannot get behind drafting this guy this year. I don't think that he's any better than a replacement level player. And it is so easy for people to look at one week sample sizes from years ago in a different offensive system against the league's worst defenses and think that you can just multiply that by 17 and get your 2023 projections for Alexander Madison. And I just don't think that's how it works. First of all, Alexander Madison isn't the player that he was a few years ago. Uh, he saw career lows last year in yards per attempt, yards per target, yards per touch, yards after contact per attempt, breakaway run rate, broken tackle rate, yards per route run. I could keep going if you want me to. I mean, he hit career lows in every single efficiency metric. He also saw fewer touches last year when Dalvin Cook was Henry or when Dalvin Cook was healthy than he ever did when Dalvin Cook was healthy under Mike Zimmer, which makes me think that Kevin O'Connell doesn't like him as much as Mike Zimmer used to. He's also got yeah. some decent backfield competition. You know, Ty Chandler, we talked about him a little bit earlier. He's no slouch. I don't think that Ty Chandler needs Alexander Madison to get hurt to carve out a role for himself. I think that he is good enough that he is going to have a role week one. So when I see Alexander Madison, I don't see somebody who is stepping into a top five opportunity share like we had seen in very small increments in years past. I think he is going to be a timeshare back, whether it's Ty Chandler, Dwayne McBride, Kenny Nwangu, they're going to rotate touches. And they've already showed interest in Leonard Fournette and Kareem Hunt. They're thinking about bringing in these, you know, quote unquote, dusty veterans, because I don't think that they trust Alexander Madison to take on the whole role. And the last thing I'll say about Alexander Madison is when we look, he's had his six career starts where he has looked good overall in those starts. But if you look, four of those career starts came against the league's worst defenses. One was against the Seattle Seahawks. Three were against the Detroit Lions. And in those games, he averaged 103 rushing yards, 46 receiving yards, and 26.1 fantasy points per game. In the two matchups he had against top 10 defenses, he averaged 34 rushing yards and 17 receiving yards. So we are looking at a guy that when you extrapolate his starts over a 17-game season looks very impressive. But the caveats that come along with those starts are being completely ignored. They came two-plus years ago under a different coaching staff in one-week increments against the league's worst run defenses with less backfield competition. Alexander Madison is such a trap at his current ADP, and I just can't get behind it. I do think I mean it's quite uh, funny that He's faced the Lions in spot starts three times, which is more often than he gets to face them if he stays healthy right. for all 17 games this year. Yeah. Ryan, talk briefly about Madison and then hit us with your second fade. I mean, you know, there's there's a saying, don't we don't hate the player, we hate the ADP, but you two guys, you guys hate <laughs> Alexander Madison. You guys hate Alexander Madison more than anyone else on the planet. And, you know, I mean... I don't, I don't think your reasoning's flawed, so to speak, but I think there's some chance that he has a good role in a good, good offense. But seriously, you guys literally hate this guy more than anyone else there is. <laughs> now, for my fade, I'm going to go with a popular guy, a headliner for a long time. I'm, gonna, I'm fading Devontae Adams at cost, where I don't hate Devontae Adams as a person. I just hate his ADP currently. Me and Ben Wolby bet on his under yards receiving early, when those markets opened at 1,300. Mm -hmm. It was down to 1250 last time I saw. And this really has nothing to do with Devontae Adams. It's that this guy played, Adams played his whole career with Aaron Rodgers. And last year, he played with Derek Carr, who was his college teammate. 
you know, and people will point to, oh, well, Adams had monster games with Jared and Stidham at the helm. The thing about Jimmy Garoppolo is, is he's, he never supported massive production from a wide receiver ever. And he had, you know, the 49ers may have had over the last four or five years probably have the best roster in the league. So my fade's more about Garoppolo and the Raiders' offensive uh, environment than Adams, but I, I'm not taking him at cost. I'm taking guys like Garrett Wilson ahead of him. Completely. Guys. Adams a guy that I just cannot draft at his ADP this year. Right. Love how Ryan talks about football at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. Uh, no one knows O-line like he does in many ways because he watches every snap of every game. We'll have Ryan's offensive line rankings on the site soon. He'll be consulting with one of our contributors, Max Ford, who played on the defensive line in the CFL for half a decade, whose father was also an NFL player. So we are going to have real NFL caliber minds meeting with Ryan Reynolds, who watches every snap of every game. So those O-line rankings are going to be free on the 33rdteam.com. I've gotten a taste of them. It's helped me in my draft strategies, and I'm just excited for everyone to see those rankings and those write-ups. I'm going to have my second fade as Joe Burrow. I, I have him ranked so low, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, I'm looking at my cheat sheet. My goodness. I have him down at 66. Consensus is taking him in the 40s. You might be like, 66 is crazy. No, no, no. You are crazy for taking him in the 40s. 66 is the middle of round six. That is historically where extremely good pocket passers have gone in fantasy football that don't have outrageous volume. And that is Joe Burrow. The past two years, the Cincinnati Bengals have ranked 20th and 7th in pass attempts. It's not like they're finishing top three in pass attempts every year. So Burrow doesn't have the elite volume. He also has a calf string currently. I don't think that's going to affect him and make him miss games per se, but he's probably going to run less. We saw him in year two of his NFL career coming off of the ACL tear. He, he had 50% fewer rush yards a game. I think that's probably what's going to happen. The calf strain, he's almost certainly running less than he, he did last season. And then we look at the actual fantasy points. His career high fantasy points last season. Wow, he did so well. And it was lower than Justin Herbert's first two seasons. Herbert's rookie year and second season were more fantasy points than Burrow. Burrow always goes ahead of Herbert. I don't quite understand it. Joe Burrow feels like the kind of player that should be going in round six. And the way I've said it is unless you have Jamar Chase on your team from round one, love Jamar Chase, but if, if you don't have him in round one, you should pass on Joe Burrow in the fourth round. He looks like a sixth round pick. It, it has nothing to do with, with disliking the player. This is purely an ADP fade. I, I know Ryan believes Joe Burrow is going to win MVP this season. I know Ryan put me on a bet that I love, which was 50 to one Jamar Chase offensive player of the year and Joe Burrow MVP. There's so many ways you can bet on Burrow this year. I just wouldn't do it when you don't have Jamar Chase on your team in the fourth round of your fantasy draft. Ryan, I'm going to kick it right back to you. Anything on Burrow and then hit us with your second target. No, I think your stance on Burrow is fine. Like, like a bunch of the guys we've discussed in this show, I prefer Bur Burrow in tournaments, and I'd rather take a, a shot on him in an awards market than in a redraft league because even when he does well, he's more of a spiked week player than a consistent guy. Like you, I'd rather have Justin Herbert than Burrow in a, in a redraft league. Now, speaking of home run swings, I've been taking everyone in the Eagles' backfield all offseason. Um, 
I'm a little bit overweight on all of them. But to me, everyone says like Rashad Penny's the best player in this backfield. Like that's not how I see it. I think it's DeAndre Swift personally. And you know, injury concerns are a problem, availability concerns are a problem. But like in a best case scenario, this guy's running behind an elite offensive line on one of the best offenses in the league. And he's more explosive than Miles Sanders. So, you know, if I have a, a hero running back or a zero running back team, I'm looking to take some home run swings in the mid to late rounds. And Swift is one of those guys I'm targeting. Yeah, it's a player that that I think has a lot of paths to upside. He, the past three years, has never finished lower than the PPR RB15 per game, despite everybody seeming to hate DeAndre Swift at this point. Dave, hit us with your second target. All right. This guy comes with a heavy, heavy dose of context because if he puts <laughs> up zero points per week for the first half of the season, I'm a-okay with it. I am drafting Marquise Brown solely to be the late season hammer. One of my hot takes, I dropped this on Mind Mansion a few days ago. I think that he is going to be on more league winning rosters than any other player. Now, obviously, it's baked into his cost right now, and you can draft him outside of the top 30 wide receivers because we don't know if it's going to be Colt McCoy or Clayton Toon or David Blau or whoever else is on that Carolina Panthers quarterback room. But last year, in the small sample that we saw with Kyler Murray, Marquise Brown was absolutely elite. 10.7 targets per game. He was the wide receiver five in scoring behind Stephon Diggs, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, and Tyreek Hill. He was on pace for 1,400 yards and eight touchdowns. And that was with Kyler Murray and with no DeAndre Hopkins. This year, Kyler Murray's coming back and there's no DeAndre Hopkins. So I can understand the concerns about Kyler Murray, you know, not returning to form as an elite fantasy quarterback because he's not going to be able to rush. That makes sense. But a non-rushing Kyler Murray is going to stand in the pocket and throw the ball more, and there is no other target competition. I'm not scared off by Michael Wilson, who's been getting some buzz out of camp. Sure, he might be good, and Greg Dorch is going to have his time, and Rondell Moore is going to get some catches in the flat. But Marquise Brown is the unquestioned wide receiver one. He and Marquise Brown have that connection, or he and Kyler Murray have that connection going back to college. So when I'm drafting Marquise Brown, it is a draft, draft him, Maybe you get a handful of spike weeks early in the season that are kind of unsuspected, but really I am just stashing him on my bench so that when Kyler Murray comes back, I can plug him in and hopefully get wide receiver one production. At Dave Kluge on Twitter. I was visibly angry when I let Dave give his three targets and fades first before <laughs> Ryan and I did because I wanted to hype up Marquise Brown. Thank I think you. a good comp for him since a lot of people have asked me like, what do you think he can be like to start the season? I actually think last year's Michael Pittman is like a very good idea of what you can expect before Kyler returns, where it's atrocious quarterback play with a good amount of pass attempts and the volume's just enough that you start him. Michael Pittman was the wide receiver 23 in PPR fantasy points per game last year. That's not sexy, but that's startable. And again, Kyler comes back and it is, it is wheels up. Now, you you probably assumed everyone listening where I was going with my next target. Fade Justin Herbert. Or, or fade Joe Burrow target. Oh, my God. I, I can't say my name. I can't say my quarterback whose jersey I'm wearing for anyone watching the live stream. I will target Justin Herbert. So with Justin Herbert, he was terrible last year. He played through a rib cartilage injury. Starting left tackle, Rayshon Slater went down in game three and missed the rest of the season. Keenan Allen missed half a season. Mike Williams missed a month of the season. Uh, we have, what was it? Uh, the center was also injured. I'm or the right guard. Who was it? Ryan, help me out. Who, were, I feel like there was one other 
everybody was injured last year. Yeah. There was yeah, one other O line yeah. injury, wasn't there? Like Slater was the big one. We'll just assume it was Slater and somebody else because it, last year's fading together. But basically, everything went wrong for Justin Herbert. But again, the first two years of his career, he, he's averaging like 22, 23 fantasy points per game. We love that. Takes a massive step back last year. And then we look and we say, well, with all those injuries, it makes sense when running back Austin Eckler is your number one target and your number two target is wide receiver three, Josh Palmer. Those guys finished one and two on the team in total targets. One thing that I do like about Justin Herbert and the Chargers is they play fast and they pass a lot. The past two years, they have been top three in pass attempts both seasons. The only team that passed more than them last season was Tom Brady's Buccaneers. Tom Brady's retired. I think Justin Herbert leads the NFL in pass attempts. Wouldn't shock me if he leads the NFL in passing yards and passing touchdowns as well. Last year, Justin Herbert was the fourth fastest quarterback in terms of pace of play, snapping the ball. Fourth fastest. What hold him back was the injuries and uh, his average throw depth. Only Matt Ryan and Daniel Jones had a lower average throw depth. So Herbert's playing rapid fire, and then he just dumps it off to Eckler. We bring in new offensive coordinator Kellen Moore from Dallas, who led the number four and then number one scoring offenses in Dallas the past two years. Dak Prescott was one of the three quarterbacks who operated at a faster pace than Herbert last year. And out of the 26 qualified quarterbacks, Justin Herbert was 24th out of 26 in average throw depth. Dak Prescott was eighth. So if you're going to me, you're telling me that they're going to throw farther down the field and operate fast. And then we have new rookie round one wide receiver, Quentin Johnston in the fold and everyone's now healthy. I, I don't see what I'm missing here. I, I think Justin Herbert's going to put up 24 fantasy points a game. And this will be the best supporting cast that he ever has in his career from now till the end. And it will be his best fantasy football points per game that he ever has in his career. Now to the end, this is the year 2023 to bet on Justin Herbert. I have him as my 40th ranked player in fantasy. If you miss out on the big four of Hertz, Allen, Mahomes, Lamar, take Justin Herbert and his production is going to be almost in line with those guys. All right, Ryan, hit us with your third and final fade. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm fading. I've faded Dallas Goddard all offseason. And you know, it's, it has nothing to do with him really. In fact, Philly has a tougher schedule this year, so I expect them to be in more neutral games situations. So I actually expect Jalen Hurts to throw for more this year. So it's not a, an issue with Goddard. I'd just rather take a shot on Darren Waller or Kyle Pitts. Um, I don't think we're gonna have the opportunity to to take Waller ahead of you know get Waller after Goddard going forward after the preseason game the other night. I think he's gonna be entrenched in front of him now. But still with Pitts, I'd I'd rather take him and bet on his talent in that environment where he could technically be the 1A option in their offense than in Goddard and, and redraft, or in, especially in tournaments. I like that one. Current uh, third option in their passing game. Dave, hit us with your third and final fade. For This is football. tough because uh, Debo Samuel is one of my favorite players to watch. Like There aren't many guys that warm my heart watching them play football the way that Debo Samuel does, just like running through defenders, stiff arming dudes through the turf, like able to do it all. The versatility is so much fun, but got to look at the numbers here. And it is a loaded offense with a lot of really good playmakers. And if you look at Debo Samuel historically, he has had three seasons where he has been a boomer bust wide receiver three. And then he had one season where he was the number two scorer at the wide receiver position. And that was the year where they traded up for Trey Sermon, who was a bust. 
then Elijah Mitchell got hurt and Debo Samuel was jammed into this weird goal line role. And that was after the first half of the season, he was the unquestioned alpha. Well, Kyle Shanahan was punishing Brandon Ayuk for some reason. It was such a weird series of events that led to what we saw from Debo Samuel when he had one of the most efficient seasons we've ever seen from a wide receiver. And people are still just trying to, you know, capture that lightning in a bottle that we saw in that magical 2021 season. And I just don't think it's going to happen because now that Debo Samuel role that we want to see all of these short catches in the flat, the goal line work, all that fun stuff, it's going to Christian McCaffrey. And then when you look at the wide receiver one, it's Brandon Ayuk. Then you got George Kittle in the mix as well. I just don't know how much meat there is on the bone for Debo Samuel. Really fun player. I'm always going to be a fan. I love watching him play, but paying up for him right now with a wide receiver two price tag, knowing that he's probably going to be a boomer bust wide receiver three makes it really, really hard to draft him at his cost. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. Uh, to, to, to paraphrase, this year's Debo Samuel is not Debo Samuel. Now, for my, my third... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. For my, my third and final fade, before we get into our final targets of the day, I'm going to go with Drake London. He played with Kyle Pitts for 10 games. He did very, very well, right? Yeah, playing with Kyle Pitts. Ooh, actually, oh no, he didn't. He had 37 yards a game with Kyle Pitts. That is not very exciting. The seven games where Kyle Pitts was injured, Drake London averaged 70 yards per game. The team drafted a running back, Bijan Robinson, at pick eight. They fortified the interior of their offensive line and free agency. And Desmond Ritter is somehow still their quarterback when this is a very winnable division for them. What does that mean to me? Uh, the the pass regression that everyone's talking about where it's like, oh no, the Falcons are going to pass a lot this year. They probably wouldn't have done all the moves I just suggested if they wanted to pass more. This looks like a team that's going to run the piss out of the ball between the 20s at the goal line. Kyle Pitts is going to be healthy for week ignoring how bad this pass offense will be. In fact, the past 10 years, there's only been four receivers that were top 12 in fantasy points on teams that were below average in pass attempts, pass yards, and pass touchdowns. I certainly think the Falcons are going to be below average in all three. Drake London's not some elite speedster. I don't see how he kind of breaks the mold there. I don't think he's going to have all the touchdowns. Cause like one of those four receivers was a Mike Evans season back in the day when he had 12 receiving touchdowns and nobody else on the team had more than two. They, like This is not the type of scenario that is going to fall into Drake London's lap. He looks like someone that's probably going to be a wide receiver three, maybe a wide receiver two in fantasy. And in the fourth and fifth round, if I'm targeting a receiver, I'd much rather they look something like a, a Calvin Ridley, where I actually see the wide receiver one type upside. So I will just not be drafting Drake London. It feels like the kind of player that will not be burning me as long as Desmond Ritter is their quarterback. Ryan, hit us with your third and final target of the day. Jamal Williams is my highest exposure running back in best ball. I still want him in redraft. You know, Alvin Kamara is going to miss three games. We thought most of us thought it was going to be a little longer than that, but that's still, if you have a running back, that's like, say like you have Javante Williams, you can plug Jamal Williams early in the season as a starter. And the other thing is Williams ran for over a thousand yards last year. He led the league in rushing touchdowns. Don't expect that second part this year, but the saints tend to, 
split their backfield touches at least to a degree. Williams could end up being leading the team in carries anyway for this season. Like I've said before, I the primary reason I'm on Williams or any Saint is their schedule. They're going to be playing ahead a lot. I like him at cost. I especially like him with my roster builds where I'm only taking one running back or even none early. I like it. We're going to get to Dave's final target in just a minute. I'm going to give one more target, and that is Jerry Judy. Judy was injured for, for much of 2022, and fantasy points per game is the wrong way to measure his season. You might be like, what do you mean? That's how you measure most guys' seasons. Well, Judy actually only missed two games due to injury completely. But three of those games, he played fewer than 40% of the snaps. One of, the, one of those games, he got injured on the first snap. So he actually only played 12 healthy games. 12 games where his snap share was more than 40%. And the Broncos scored the fewest points in the NFL last year. So this is the worst offensive environment in football. But in those 12 games, Judy averaged nearly eight targets, more than five receptions, 75 yards and half a touchdown a game. That is 16 PPR fantasy points a game. 16 fantasy points is the demarcation point year after year between wide receiver ones and wide receiver twos. Judy was basically a borderline low-end wide receiver one last year in the worst conditions possible. And I don't think we need to rerun through everything the Broncos have done, but I think we can all assume they're not going to win five or six games again. Their offense should be much more functional. So even if they're like the 20th best offense, that's a pretty massive rise for everyone, and especially Jerry Judy, who is the clear wide receiver one in this offense. Now, again, everyone, before we kick it to Dave for his final target, reminder to follow Dave at Dave Kluge on Twitter. Ryan is at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. If you want to follow me, Jay Larkey tweets. You can find Ryan and I's content for free on the 33rdteam.com. Dave is, at this point, like we said, the, pretty much the face of football guys, footballguys.com. Their plans start as low as $4 a month if you want to make sure that Dave stays employed, which I think we all want to make sure happens. We do. Ryan does as well. Good to hear. We're aligned there. All right. Dave, kick us out. We, what we're looking for here is the the first the first few rounds of our draft, the early middle rounds have gone by. We're looking for league winning upside at this point. Who is that player for you? Well, first of all, I'll say don't follow me on Twitter unless you like memes and sarcasm and humor because there's going to be a healthy dose of that at Dave Kluge. <laughs> But the last guy I'll talk about, this is my favorite late-round target. I have tried to draft in on as many teams as I can, Zach Charbonnet. And for those of you that don't pay attention to rookies, he was projected to be a first-round pick. You know, Everyone was hoping that he'd go to the Chiefs or go to the Bengals or go to one of these teams that had a late first-rounder, and he slid, gift-wrapped, in the second round to the Seattle Seahawks. And there is a world where Kenneth Walker can out-touch Zach Charbonnet and Zach Charbonnet can still be the better fantasy asset. I know it sounds crazy, but Zach Charbonnet is bigger, stronger, heavier, has more burst, and his pass catching upside puts him in a role where he can be the uh, th uh the, the third down back, the goal line back, and the two minute drill back. His target share in college was in the ninety third percentile and three times higher than Kenneth Walker's. He is a big guy who can do it all as a running back. He can be had five rounds later than Kenneth Walker. And not only does he have this standalone value where he can get the majority of the high value touches in Seattle, 
But God forbid if something does happen to Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet instantly becomes a top 10, top 12 running back on one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL. Zach Charbonnet is a guy that you should be trying to leave every one of your drafts with.